0: Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. It's all in the eyes, or so the saying goes, but are there ways to keep your eyes looking as young as you feel? Dr. Melanie Tantasira is in the studio. She's an ophthalmologist with expertise in cosmetic eye surgery and the first one to do the Madonna eye lift here in the islands. What is this, and how can it make you look and feel younger? We're going to hold on to that and keep you in suspense. We'll be taking your calls in just a few minutes. 941-3689 on Oahu. From the neighbor islands, one 941 3689 First, in medical news, breaking medical news, the latest guidelines from the American Urologic Association are out, and the controversy about testing for prostate cancer, well, it's about to come back. Based on scientific evidence, there's new recommendations on when the best time is to start testing for prostate cancer. Dr. Stephen Chin, recently back from that conference, explains the latest with us today. Dr. Chin, welcome to The Body Show.
1: Oh, thanks for having me again, Tati.
0: Thanks for being on. Now, tell me, you know, five years ago, what were we doing? I mean, I remember medical school, and they said, all right, you're over 50. Here's what you do. Check a PSA. Do a prostate exam. You're good for a year. Yes. That was like maybe up until a couple of years ago. Correct. All right. So then what happened?
1: And then we realized that there are more men at younger ages who are at risk. And so the recommendation in general for men who have a family history or who are African-American in heritage, uh, the recommendation went down to 45 and then most recently down to 40 years of age where we'd start.
0: So why do you think that changed? Were we missing folks?
1: Uh, we were. We we're missing fr- uh, patients that we should have caught earlier. And and that's where all the controversy is coming from. You know, there's the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force is saying that the death rate from prostate cancer has, has not changed, that we're wasting time. And they actually came out... Uh, in a blanket statement saying that the PSA is a worthless test and no man should be screened for prostate cancer.
0: Right, that was that was a uh, maybe a couple of years ago and mm-hmm. and now all of a sudden there's a new recommendation out there. So so when we hear about these different societies coming up with recommendations, they're basing it on research that they're doing now, what about the latest recommendation? So this is kind of saying, yes, we should do screening for prostate cancer. We shouldn't ignore this particular problem, regardless of the lack of change of, of rates of, of prostate cancer or, or death from prostate cancer. But what's really the bottom line? So so now we have new guidelines that said, oh, yep, U.S. Preventative Services Task Force, well, you don't like the PSA, but but we think we should do it. Let's talk about who we need to target.
1: Yes, this is really more the American Urologic Association and the urologic community's response.
0: So these are the people who actually practice urology. Right. They're in the office. They know what they're doing. They see people. They treat them for prostate cancer. They kind of know the drill. Yes. All right.
1: And uh, when you look at the data, I think more effectively, you realize that the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force was looking at data cumulatively and really were just number crunching. You know, they're taking a look at how many people they were supposedly diagnosed and then cured of prostate cancer, the cost per diagnosis, the cost per cure, the side effects and complications. Um, the problem is a lot of the data that they were looking at was not complete or well compared with, say, a a, a control group.
0: Well, and if, if you really want to know what you should do for prostate cancer, you probably ought to ask the doctors who diagnose and treat it. Exactly. So the American Urological Association looked at... Basically, urologists, mm-hmm. doctors who specialize in the diagnosis and treatment of this. And what are their latest guidelines? So they've expanded the age group in some ways, and then they've narrowed it in others. So for, for somebody out there who says, okay, I'm 40, I'm a guy, what do we tell them?
1: Well, the most important thing is looking back now at, at family history. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't know their family history. But in general, if a, a person does have a family history of prostate cancer, for every individual that has prostate cancer, that, re- that increases, you know, your patient's risk fourfold.
0: So, if they say, "Yeah, my dad had it, and I think my uncle," then are you looking at an eightfold increase?
1: Eightfold, and then if you look at my family where my dad and his youngest brother, my uncle, had it. Both my grandfathers had it, and my mother's oldest brother died of prostate cancer. I'd like For to me, say
0: you're in deep kimchi over it, there, okay, Dr. Really Jin? It's
1: not if I'm going to get it. It's when I'm going to get it. Um, African-American heritage increases a man's risk 2.7-fold. And and even then, there's our, there are some other risk factors that haven't been commented on. And you know, just as an aside with such a, a large population of veterans here, remember, we always ask, were they in the Vietnam War? Because and why do we ask that? Because Agent Orange definitely is is listed as a cause for many cancers, and it has been associated and tagged with prostate cancer as well.
0: So we're talking about exposures. You look at family history. And so are we individualizing the guidelines now for prostate cancer, or is there sort of a, like when I learned in medical school, you're over 50, you get it checked out, you do a blood test, that's the end of it. What What is the, the way that we approach it now? So you start... At 40, if there's a family history, if you have particular ethnic or genetic risks or exposure risks, and when do we stop?
1: So they now recommend between the ages of 40 and 55. If you have no risk factors, then 56 through roughly 69, and I like to extend it in patients in Hawaii to 75 because, in general, we live here. We live older here. We have a healthier lifestyle, better diet, um, so for my patients, I would be looking at those from 56 to 75, saying that if you have no risk factors, they have to make an educated decision for themselves with their physician and decide whether or not they want to get checked probably once a year. Um, those patients that do have the risk factors, they have to decide if they want to continue to get checked. And if they do, the new guidelines state that if your PSA is really low in that in that age group, uh, let's say it's less than 2 that instead of being checked once a year, it might be wise to check you every other year.
0: So depending on the result, if you're between 56 and 75 and you say, okay, no risk factors, I want to test it, and you're low, you could maybe do it every other year. What if you're kind of on the edge? What if you're about four or so when you do your first test?
1: If you're four, that's not a normal PSA per se. And so you're you're not necessarily screening for cancer at that point because you have an abnormal lab test that you're working on. But that raises some of the controversies about the PSA itself. And a lot of patients you know, that are sent to us, uh, one of the first things I'll ask, and, and I'll try not to be too graphic, but uh, sexual intercourse, masturbation, even irritation in the prostate, say from things like aggressive bicycle riding, have been shown to raise a man's PSA. So So make
0: sure they've done it when they haven't done anything that could inappropriately elevate it.
1: Exactly. I mean, if it's applied appropriately, the PSA is still a very good test. Everyone agrees it's not prostate cancer-specific antigen. It's not the test that will tell you whether or not you have prostate cancer. It's just going to suggest that there's something going on and that you have to be tested, and that usually would be with a biopsy. So as best possible, if we can avoid doing those unnecessary biopsies, We're saving people from the risk of of infections, from the cost, from the uh, time away from work.
0: So let's say you're in this 56 to 75 age group, and you have a level of 2, and you decide, I'm going to check it every other year. Do you just stop when you hit 75? Do you continue to test every other year? Is there an age time when you just say, okay... I don't think we need to look at this any further, or should you, is it more individualized where you kind of look at where they've been for the last 10, 15 years and make a judgment call for that individual person?
1: I I think you're right. It does have to be individualized more toward their physiologic age and not their chronologic age. Uh, The oldest gentleman I personally ever operated on was 83 years old for prostate cancer. And typically men, older men like that who have prostate cancer, you treat them with radiation therapy. But in this gentleman, he was a senior triathlete. He he so could, he
0: had a fairly good physical fitness. He could tolerate the procedure, and he had a lifespan that would suggest that this was appropriate.
1: Right. So the suggestion is any man who has a life expectancy of at least maybe 8 to 10 years from whatever date you're talking about. Let's say he's, you know he's, he is 78. Well, he's got another 10 to 15 years. If there's longevity in the family, there's no reason why you shouldn't check him if he wants to be checked.
0: So the guidelines now are risk factors start at 40 no risk factors, 56 to 75, every year if the PSA is low, every, I'm sorry, every other year if the PSA is low, every year if there's a sign of a problem, and be careful when you do the test because you might inadvertently elevate it without realizing it. And if the level is high and there's no other reason, time to do an evaluation of some
1: sort. Yes, definitely. Definitely.
0: Okay. So it sounds like, you know, it was, it's kind of similar to the old blanket statement, 50 and over. It's sort of saying, okay, don't ignore it, do the test carefully, and don't necessarily go rushing to do a lot of procedures if you might have done the test at the wrong time for yourself. But maybe it's not so controversial after all. I agree. So in general, the American Urologic Association, probably a better guideline to follow because it's written by urologists. Yes. As opposed to the Preventative Services Task Force, they did look at some data. It wasn't specific to what urologists are doing, and maybe their recommendations, don't ever test it, probably not something we should be looking at. Yes. At least not according to the American Urologic Association. Definitely. All right. I think I got it. I know where to find you if I need to get more information, Dr. Steven Chin. Anytime. You work at Straub Clinic. You're one of my colleagues. All right. Well, I want to thank you for explaining that to us. I know you just came back from the Urological Association meeting. And, you know, you called me and said, I've got something new. We've got to talk about it. I've got to come on air. And you were also on this morning with Beth Ann. Yes. So thanks again for coming in today. And if anybody has a question, please feel free, go to the website. You can email me at the station at talk at hawaiipublicradio.org, uh, Hawaii and we will try and help you to sort out any questions you may have about what these new guidelines are and what you should do. Dr. Chin, thanks for joining us today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: All right. We have another guest in the studio, Dr. Melanie Tantasira, And, you know, you're an expert in something that I want to make sure that I never have, which is making sure that all those little crow's lines and all those other sorts of things that make me look my age, which I'm trying to deny, can go away. Now, you are an ophthalmologist. You've been on our show before. And I want to welcome you to The Body Show. We're going to talk about your latest project, the Madonna Eye Lift. So thanks for joining us today.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: Now, tell me, you know, I want to look younger. I always want to look younger. I think everybody out there wants to look younger. What are some of the aging changes that happen around the eyes that help to tell somebody how
2: old that individual really is? Okay, that's a good question. My patients come to me complaining of seeing fine to fine lines, wrinkles, and they're noticing that the skin on their upper lids is starting to go downwards with the gravity pulling on it. Um, they also see maybe dark circles under their eyes. Basically, they're saying, hey, I look more, I look tired. I don't feel tired. So it's not necessarily that you're seeing these changes because somebody's not getting
0: enough sleep. Right. This is actually a permanent age-related change to the skin around the eye. Yes. They'll see it even if they've had a really great night's sleep. So I can't just blame, you know, oh, I must have had salty food last night. It's just (laughs) not going to go away. Yes, I I don't think so. (laughs) All right. Now I'm depressed. Okay, so now you have this new technique that you've learned uh, about, it's called the Madonna eyelift, and I'm curious, what is this supposed to do and how does this make me look younger?
2: Yes, what it does is basically I'm using a laser which stimulates collagen growth. And because I use it on the eyelids while protecting the eye, if we do several treatments, we gradually stimulate growth of collagen in the eyelids and it causes the eyelid skin to tighten. So doing it on the upper lids causes the, the droopiness of the upper lids to gradually reduce and to shrink and makes the upper lids look lifted. And doing it on the lower lids where we have the dark circles or the fine crinkly lines reduces the crinkliness and the sagging And then doing it in the crow's feet area helps reduce the crow's feet. Okay. So if the laser
0: helps to reduce all those lines, produces more collagen, why don't you just do it on the whole body? (laughs) <laughs> I mean, it sounds like that would be a great way to just completely look younger. Okay, so, but sometimes people are worried. You know, we talk about cosmetic procedures. We talk about putting things around the eyes. And, you know, I even worry sometimes I put on wrinkle cream. Oh, no, I don't want to get it in my eye because the eyelid tends to be a very sensitive area. How is it that, that this does not damage the eyelid that I'm always so afraid of getting cream in my eye from? I mean, how is it that this is so
2: targeted? That it can just help what you need. That's a great question. Well, first of all, I am always protecting the eye. I have metal eye shields. I numb the eye completely first. And so then
0: that's a good point. You're not going to feel it because no. I didn't even think about what it would feel like to have a laser <laughs> on your eyelid. I didn't even think about that. So number right. one, it's numb. Right. All we right. That's good numb the to skin. Know. Okay. We,
2: we let the topical eye creams, and uh, the topical skin cream, sit on the skin for a good twenty to thirty minutes. Then I put a drop inside the eyes to numb the eye itself, and I put a shield, a metal shield, inside the eye underneath the lid to protect the eye itself.
0: Now, that kind of would start to freak me out right there. But, I mean, you've yeah. done this, so people don't freak out. They, oh, no. they don't feel it. They're comfortable. Right. Okay. And then what, Then you've got your metal
2: eye shield. Everything's numbed up. What's next? And then I set the laser at the appropriate setting for eyelids. Eyelid skin is thinner than the skin on the rest of the face, so I do have to set the parameters so that I'm not going too deep. I tend to be conservative on the first treatment so that I can see how the patient will react. And depending on how the patient reacts, I can try to get more or more response on the following treatments. But oftentimes the very first setting is the right one for patients.
0: So when you say how someone reacts to it, you don't necessarily mean, oh my god, I had a laser in my eye. You mean more along the lines of how well that particular depth of laser treatment affected the collagen production of the eyelid and the skin.
2: Exactly. And whether or not they have a lot of swelling or anything afterwards, which we don't want too much of. A little bit is okay.
0: So when we talk about that recovery time, You know, how long? I mean, it's not like I would rush over to your office during lunchtime, have it done, go back to my office, and and nobody would notice. I mean, I imagine
2: somebody might say, hey, what'd you do? Right. So that's true. Um, This is not a lunchtime procedure. Uh, We do do lunchtime procedures, but this one, usually we tell people to expect some swelling around the lids for at least one to two days. And when I'm really stimulating good Collagen production. um, We're getting down to the deepest layer of the skin, which is the dermis, and so occasionally they'll have just a little light pinpoint bleeding, and so you'll be able to see that for a day or two, usually just one day.
0: But it's not like it's affecting your vision. You could drive home. Oh yes, everyone does. And you've done this procedure now. It's something special. It's only uniquely done in the islands. Why is that? Is this a new procedure? Is it a new laser?
2: Um, actually, the this procedure was pioneered by someone in New York City, Dr. Bruce Katz, and he's been doing it for a couple of years. But there really aren't that many people and, well, that many doctors doing the procedure. There were a few other centers across the United States. Um, when I saw the procedure, I just thought, boy, this is perfect for what I do. I like to have improvement in people's looks. I like to be able to help them without having a whole lot of risk, a whole lot of downtime, and um, without changing them too much, just getting improvements that they can see and appreciate. So
0: this isn't like having a full, complete eye lift. This isn't a big surgical procedure. Do you generally Mm -hmm. get the same effect. I mean if you were to look at somebody for whom you've done this eyelift and someone who's had other procedures done, is it is
2: it comparable? I th- it's comparable to a small eyelift. If somebody really, really needs surgery, I mean if we have eyelid skin that is drooping into you, your vision and blocking your vision, you're still going to need surgery. And I have patients who've come in and asked me, you know, can I do the Madonna lift? And I'll look at them and say, you know what, I'm sorry. I really do think you need surgery. And uh, So, yes, of course, we need to screen patients out. There is a place for surgery, and there's a place for the Madonna lift.
0: All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. I'm here in the studio with Dr. Melanie Tantasira, And when we come back, you're going to tell me why they call it the Madonna eye lift, because I'm dying to know. <laughs> you can join our conversation today at 941-3689, toll free from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us.
3: Hi, Don Gordon here, host of Jazz with Don Gordon. Heard every Monday through Thursday right here on HPR. We go from 8 until midnight, and again on Friday night from 10 until midnight with Don's Picks. It's Jazz right here on HPR. Join me, won't you?
2: June issue of Parents Magazine points families to 10 beach towns for a relaxing family vacation. The only one in Hawaii is Kamuela. So does that mean the town is gearing up to niche market to families or will it make an effort not to change? We'll talk with longtime resident Sydney Weking tomorrow morning at 8 on The Conversation.
0: Aloha and welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Melanie Tantasera. We are talking about how to make everybody who wants to look and maybe feel a little younger doing an eye lift. We're going to hear about why they call it the Madonna eye lift in just a sec. If you'd like to join our conversation, you can at 941-3689, toll free from the neighbor islands, 1-877-941-3689. All right, Dr. Melanie, I've kept them in suspense. You call it the Madonna eye lift.
2: Why is that? Well, it's said that Dr. Katz does it on our famous singer, Madonna, who has maintained, despite her age into her 50s, maintained a really wide open eye look. She really looks Yeah, she looks, looks really fantastic.
0: young. I mean, she looks pretty amazing for, for her age. Right. Which we won't mention. Right. Because we are not mentioning ages here for any Uh, of us. Of course not. (laughs) right, But we all look very young. And we all look fantastic. I'm going to say yes to that. (laughs) Thank God for radio. So so this is one of the procedures that you do that is cosmetic for the eyes. What are some of the other types of procedures that are out there? If somebody said, you know, maybe I just want to do something just to look a little bit younger. Their eyelids aren't really sagging into the vision, which is something that becomes concerning for a big surgery. What if they're a little scared about the laser? what else do they do? What are are some of the other procedures that you're aware of that could help somebody if they wanted to look and feel their best?
2: Oh, there are quite a few other procedures that we can do that are completely non-surgical and very pain-free, safe. Um, One of the simplest things to do is if it looks like the eyebrows are starting to get a little bit droopy or starting to move downwards, um, a little bit of Botox Cosmetic or one of its competing products, actually relaxes the muscles that pull the brows downwards. And if placed precisely in the right spots, the eyebrows will actually move upwards after one of those treatments. And so that also opens up the eyes and makes a patient look younger.
0: So basically, when, when you get older, you don't have the open eye look. Sometimes you get a little drooping, a little bit of the eyelids, sometimes the eyebrow. So this is another way that you could not just, you don't just lift up the lids, you now can lift up the brow. Also give that appearance mm-hmm. of being a little bit younger. Precisely. All yes. right. Well, you know, we had a shy caller, and they wanted to know, can you get rid of puffiness under the eyes? Is that something that you can do with these procedures, or does that require a different type of, type of procedure or surgery?
2: Okay. Um, I think it would depend on what was causing the puffiness. Uh, If we're talking about puffiness from just the skin being loose, then yes, definitely we could help with the laser. If we're talking about puffiness from perhaps the other cause that we often see, which is fat coming forward uh, around underneath the eye,
0: that's just not fair.
2: <laughs> Dr. Melanie,
0: it's not fair. Okay. So, so you get older, and not only do you have a problem with, you know, not looking like you did when you were a teenager, fat comes out of your eyes. Yeah. Are you kidding? <laughs> I mean, this is horrible. All right. So the little fat pockets that come from under the eye. Right. And so
2: what do you do with those? Do you, like, you can't just laser those away. Unfortunately, no. Okay. Um, We can, if we tighten the skin enough, sometimes we can decrease their appearance. Can you suck the fat out? Um, Surgically, we do. That's one of the things that we do is we don't quite suck it out. We do make an incision and remove it. We'll excise it. Now, this is a
0: weird question, but can you put it somewhere else? I mean, like, you know, sometimes people have those little crow's lines around the mouth and stuff, and now their eyes look like they're 20, but, you know, the rest of their face doesn't. So could yes. you, like, excise it out and go, oh, good, we'll put that right over there near that wrinkle? Sure. Or not
2: really. You could. Well, yes, it's one of the things that we do do, actually, with the lower eyelid surgery. Sometimes we are actually repositioning the fat rather than just taking it out. We can take it from the place that's too... Puffy and move it to an area that's kind of hollow, and that's fat grafting. Um, so that is one of the techniques that can be done. Again, we're talking about surgery now. We're, we've moved on from non-surgical techniques to surgery. So yes. for our
0: shy caller, yes, you can get rid of the puffiness. Depends on what caused it, and if it is those little globules of fat, you can put it somewhere else. I mean, that's pretty good news. If if they need it somewhere else, you know, right? That's pretty
2: good news. All right. right. We can also camouflage it. A lot of times I'll do a non-surgical technique if it happens to be a fat pocket. I, if there's an area underneath that looks like it has a shadow, oftentimes just like we can camouflage a smile line by putting a filler into the smile line, we can camouflage the, the hollow underneath the, a fat pocket by putting a filler underneath that shadow and filling in that shadow. Gotcha. So you can find another way to make it look good
0: without necessarily having to do a big procedure. Correct. All right. Yeah. We've got another caller on the line. This one not so shy. We've got Stacy from Kaimu Key. Stacy, welcome to the body show. Hi. Thanks for calling and being on air.
4: And I'm never shy.
0: <laughs> good. What can we do for you? <laughs> I have two questions.
4: And this is about the Madonna eyelift. Yep.
0: Okay. We can okay. all look like a rock star.
4: Okay, now the first question you might have already answered, how much does it cost?
2: We didn't answer, and we will for you. Okay, that's a good question, Stacey. Um, If you were to do just one procedure, which I don't recommend, actually, it's $750, we package them in packages of three because... Three procedures works much better than one, and basically we do three for 1500 So it's, it's like a buy one, buy get, two, one buy two, two get, get one free. Buy two, get one free. Exactly, right. because it works three. so much better. Oh, right. Yes. Okay. <laughs>
4: and, and then the other question is, um, at one point in the past I had a Fraxel repair treatment for my face, the whole yes. face. Uh-huh. How does this relate to that? It's a yeah. laser.
2: yes. Yes, and so you had a fractionated laser before. This is also a fractionated laser, which okay. means that the entire skin is not being, um, the surface of the skin is not completely removed. Instead, columns of energy are delivered through the skin and skin is left intact around those columns so that you'll heal quickly. So mm-hmm. you have an idea of how quickly you would heal because mm-hmm. of the repair. And um, you'll also be going down to the deeper layers, but we'll be specifically targeting the eyelids and getting the eyelid tissue to shrink and to tighten and lift. Okay. Does that answer your question? Thank you very much. Okay, yeah. thank you. Thanks for calling.
0: All right, Stacey, thank you for calling. You've taught me a new word, Fraxel. Yes. Fractionated laser. Yes. All right. I feel smarter already. <laughs> oh. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Melanie Tantasira. We are talking about cosmetic eye procedures. If you want to join our conversation, 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689.
2: Dr. Melanie, what else can you do for the eyes? Uh, that's a really, that's <laughs> a really good question. Um, we do do other fillers. Um, Once in a while, we have (laughs) patients who have very hollow-looking eyes, and oftentimes that's because their fat has sunken or has receded. So I don't know if you've seen some of the very older-looking patients who actually have um, almost an emaciated look around their eyes, and that does age them as well. That's another case where we can use fillers to... restore the volume around their eyes. This is something that's done in the office. Again, I can just use a cream anesthetic to numb the skin. I can also use a block if a patient wants to be totally numb and feel absolutely nothing. That would be me. <laughs> that would be you. Okay, well, I can do that. And really, you won't feel anything. And then we, I'll take a filler, usually one of the hyaluronic acids, which is a clear gel, And then I take it and just follow along the hollow and fill in that space and make it look as if there is skin and tissue there as it once was. I like that. So you follow
0: around the hollow. Now, you mentioned hyaluronic acid. What are some of the other fillers that you use?
2: And that's a great question. Um, Hyaluronic acids, there are, um, well, at this point, there are a bunch of different ones. But the the first one to be introduced was Restylane. And it has its uh, sister product, which is purline, has slightly larger molecules, and so is absorbed more slowly. But in this area around the eyes, usually we would use Restylane or Juvederm because they're both slightly thinner and um, therefore don't get lumpy and can be massaged into the right position for the eyes. Um, other fillers, there's radius, which is made out of calcium hydroxyapatite. Again, it's something that's found in your body, so it's accepted very well when we use it as a filler. Um, it, this one is very long-lasting, and it's really what I call structural, so it's really good for lifting and building volume. And um, we use it also for smile lines, but I, I especially like it for when we're revolumizing areas of the face that need to be lifted, like people tend to lose their their cheekbones as they get older. And so we, re, we reconstruct cheekbones, things like that.
0: Now, how long do these things last? Does it last, you know, is it something where you would do a couple of treatments, maybe Restylane or Juvederm or Radiesse, and then, you know, a year later you do it all again? Or does this last for a period of time?
2: That's, yeah, good question. Um, around the eyes, the hyaluronic acids do last about a year. So that's considered pretty good because other areas of the face, it may be shorter where there's more movement, say, in the smile lines or in in the lips.
0: Where does it go? Does your body just
2: absorb it? Yes. The body metabolizes it.
0: And so the one that you mentioned was made out of, was it calcium appetite? Yeah. Calcium hydroxyapatite. Hydroxyapatite. So that one's a normal product of your body. So your body can absorb it, no problem, doesn't have any issues. Exactly. Yes. It's metabolized normally. So you can do these things around the eyes. Can you, you can also do these things around other areas, I think, smile lines and other yeah. things that you mentioned. Yes. If somebody does one of these procedures, we had Stacy call and say she had already had the Fraxel. I love that, Stacy. Fraxel, fractionated laser treatment. Can you, can you ever get to the point where you do so many that you just, that
2: laser won't work anymore or won't be effective? Um, usually not because your body still has the ability to heal itself. So each time you're doing the laser, you're stimulating healing, and we don't expect you to get to the point where you you can't heal anymore. So you're not ever immune to it. It's not like it ever won't work because you've done so many of them. Right. I mean... I mean, you know, with fillers you can, or Botox, you can get to the point where maybe you really shouldn't do anymore, you know. Yeah, we all know
0: people we've seen who we
2: think that. Uh, what were they thinking? Okay. Right. But I try I try to explain that to patients, you know, before when they're in my office. But um, usually in terms of laser, we're not going to say, oh, yeah, you're not going to heal anymore. It's going to work.
0: All right, we've got another caller on the line. We have David calling from Waikiki. David, welcome to The Body Show. Thank you. What can we do for you today?
3: I uh, was asking, I wanted to ask you if there is a procedure to, um, that would either permanently uh, or very long-lastingly uh, whiten the whites of the eyes. I have extremely large eyeballs, and they've always been red and, and at even compounds itself in, a, in an environment where there's more allergens in the air and whatnot. That's and a good question, sure. Procedure.
0: Well, and it's talking about the white part of the eye. Dr. Melody?
2: Oh, that's a good question. Well, first of all, David, are um, Are you? Are you? what are you doing to treat your allergies and protect yourself from irritants and the UV light in our beautiful Hawaiian environment? Well,
3: not much of anything. <laughs> just, just, just eye drops whenever they burn and burn uh-huh. enough. You
2: uh-huh.
3: know, re- regular over-the-counter eye drops.
2: Okay, got it. Um, I just was wondering about um, wearing sunglasses and whether you've been. I do. Okay, and are you? Have you been evaluated for dry eyes and other eye conditions?
3: Uh, n- not for that. I had a I had a doctor on on the mainland tell tell me um, I have the largest eyeballs of any human he's ever
2: worked on. Okay. So So it does sound as if your eyes could dry out quite easily because you have a lot of exposure. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would start off with making sure that your eyes are healthy and because usually red eyes are a sign of some kind of irritation. It's a reaction just like any other redness anyplace else in your body. It's a sign of inflammation. So mm-hmm. there's some kind of stimulant that's causing the redness. So I would start off with making sure that you've been evaluated for the problem and that you're being treated correctly for any sort of eye problems that's causing it. Okay. I
3: see. Yeah, um, so let's suppose that drops wouldn't work. Is there a procedure in place for anybody for anybody with this symptom?
2: Well, We've been known to do cosmetic removal of the surface layer that has all those blood vessels, but that's a, it's a little bit controversial, and it's definitely cosmetic and elective, where the surface layer of the eye, called the conjunctiva, could be removed. It's not necessarily something I would advise. It has other things, um, such as to your production glands in it that you might want to keep. So, right. Yeah, it's yeah, something.
3: I, yeah, I understand. I'm sorry to cut you off. Um, I have one more thing. I've noticed on the Internet There's they advertise these drops to make your eyes whiter mm-hmm. called French blue or something like that. And, you know, I've I read different reviews on it, and half the review says it's a scam, it's bad for your eyes, don't do it. And the other half say it's great and it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. I wonder if you know anything about it.
2: That drop, I'm not familiar with. But most drops that do make your eyes white for at least a while cause it by vasoconstriction or, or making your blood vessels smaller. And then it becomes that your eyes only are white when you're using the drops. So usually we don't recommend using them on a regular basis. You can use them for special occasions, but not every day. Does that answer okay, your question, Okay, well, that David?
3: gives me something to think about, at least.
2: Okay, David. But I do suggest getting a really thorough evaluation of the health of your eyes. Thank okay. you very much. Thanks for calling.
0: All right, David. Thanks for giving us a call. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio. We are talking with Dr. Melanie Tantasira about cosmetic eye procedures. We've got a couple of callers on the line. We've got John from Millilani. John, welcome to The Body Show.
5: Hi. Thank you for having me.
0: Great. What can we do for you?
3: Uh, yeah, I had some uh, laser surgery to get rid of the puffiness underneath my eyes about two or three years ago, and um, I'm happy with the surgery. However, I was wondering if it's a little bit um, shallow underneath there now, and the lines have sort of come out after that had you know I had that done. And I was wondering if something like Restylane would help to kind of puff it back up again.
0: That's a great question, John. So you had the procedure done to try and help your eyes not be puffy, and now they've kind of turned a little hollow. Yeah. All right. Well, Dr. Tantasira, you mentioned earlier, follow the hollow. You can put some stuff in there. Restalin is that one of the
2: possible things you could do? It sounds like it. John, are you saying that you had, did you have fat removed with your laser procedure in the past? Yes. Okay. Yes. Actually, that this is fairly common um, when you have had uh, eyelids that were too puffy and then you've had them fixed. And then later on, as we get older and lose more fat, then it be, does become more hollow. So, yes, that's actually a really great solution for it is to go ahead and follow the hollow, as Dr. Kozak said, and put a little bit of rustling right where you're noticing the darkness or the uh, concavity. That would work really well for you.
3: Thank you. I've already scheduled the appointment, so thank you so much for reinforcing that.
2: Okay, you're welcome, John. All
0: right, John. Yeah, thanks for calling us, and I'm happy that uh, you already have a plan to have that procedure done. That sounds like a a great way to sort of reverse, unfortunately, what was probably a great procedure at the time, and Mm -hmm. you mentioned, Dr. Melanie, sometimes as we get older, boy, the eyes can change a bit, and then even if you've had a procedure, You might need to do something to keep that up or to, in some ways, for for John, reverse what actually had occurred, make him still look as young and youthful as I hope he is. All right, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio. When we come back, we've got some more callers, and we are going to talk some more about ways that you can make your eyes look younger. And certainly if you look younger... A lot of times you feel younger, and that's definitely a good plan. You can join our conversation at 941-3689. Toll Free Neighbor Islands, 877-941-3689. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us.
1: Meet a little-known consumer loan product with a big financial hook. Every time they go in and refinance, they pay a new origination fee. They pay more credit insurance fees. It is not uncommon for someone to walk in and years later end up paying three times what they borrowed. I'm
3: Kai Rizdal, A special investigation with ProPublica Beyond Payday Loans next time on Marketplace from APN This evening at 6, following The Bobby Show...
4: On the next New Letters on the Air, playwright Christina Anderson discusses the importance of transformation from the first creative spark to the final curtain call. I'm very invested in
0: creating the kind of theater that will hopefully ignite change in the real world. Christina Anderson reads from her play Good Goods and talks about her new work, Blacktop Sky, on New Letters on the Air.
1: Tuesday evening at 6.30, following Marketplace.
0: Aloha. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Melanie Tantosir. We are talking about making all of us look a little younger. That's something I'd like to do. You can join our conversation at 941-3689. Toll Free Neighbor Islands, 1-877-941-3689. Dr. Melanie, this is a popular topic. We've got a couple more callers on the line. We have got Joe from Kaimuki. Joe, welcome to The Body
5: Show. Hello.
0: Hello. What can we do for yes, you
5: today? I have a question about the fat under the eye.
0: Yep. And, do you want uh, it or you don't?
5: I've got about a quarter inch of that fat, and uh, to remove it from uh, each eye, I think I, I got quoted before about $2,000 each eye. So is that uh, about what you charge, or is it anything less?
0: It's a good question, Joe. You know, because you got these little pockets, you didn't ask for them, and now they're yep. there. How do you get rid of them, Doctor Melanie? How much does this cost if you do the little surgical procedure to excise it?
2: Well, Joe, it does vary somewhat on each person's um, case, so it's hard to say over the radio. I'm obviously, you not have to see him. Okay, to look at But you. on average, but, you yeah, know, yeah, you know, is that pretty uh, average cost? That's that's definitely within the price range of an average patient. Yes, it's, I. About that. You yeah, all right, somebody. Joe. So, so, you know, was, price shopping. About 2000 each. Right? Yeah, so, you know, that's pretty much the going rate on, on average. There's a whole range, but that's certainly mm-hmm. reasonable. And then
5: uh, that one, I guess after you take the fat out, you pull the fat out, and then you tighten up the uh, area?
2: Yes, the skin can be tightened at the same time if you have excess skin.
5: I see. And then what is the uh, recovery time?
2: I usually tell patients that you should expect to look bad for two weeks. (laughs) weeks. And then sometimes you still look funny, and it's completely variable from one patient to the other, of course. But But
5: you you still can go to work, though.
2: It depends partially on what kind of work you do, Joe. What kind of work do you do?
5: Well, I guess kind of
2: physical work. Oh, no, you're going to need to take some time off. We don't want any of those blood vessels because the area in the eyelids is very vascular. You have a lot of blood vessels, and we do have to cut through them in order to get the results that you want. And so we need them to close and stay closed. And when you do physical work, then you're raising your blood pressure, and you could increase your risk of bleeding and bruising and causing a lot of trouble. So you're going to need to take some time off
5: please
0: spell your name oh joe we'll spell it for you and that's actually one of the ways people can get in touch with dr tantasira she's got a great website uh okay. let's see it's dr melanie md dot com so we're looking at uh, melanie m e l a n i e tantasira t a n t i s i r a so there you go, Joe. But thanks for calling us today, and hopefully you'll have a chance to have your procedure done. What a great reason to take a vacation. You come back. You look more than well-rested. You look younger than ever. It sounds like a great plan. Dr. Melanie, we've got some more callers. This has been a really, really uh, hot topic. People really want to go ahead and figure out how to do some of these things for the eyes. We've got Carol calling from Maui. Carol, welcome to The Body Show.
4: Hi. Thank you for addressing this issue on your program.
0: Thanks for calling Uh, us. What can we do for you?
4: I'm 73. I have had two blepharoplasties in the past over the course of probably 25 years, but the skin above my upper eyelids still droops to the extent that if I relax my face completely, I can't open my eyes completely. Well, that's not good, Carol. I've taught myself to... Um, use muscles to keep my eyelids up. But what else can I do?
0: All right, Dr. Melanie, Carol is 73 years young, and she wants to look younger, and she's having some troubles. What can she do?
2: Well, let me ask you a couple of ca- questions, Carol. Um, which muscles are you using to keep your eyes open at this point? You said you've trained yourself. Which muscles have you trained?
4: The ones that raise my eyebrows.
2: So you're using your forehead muscles at this point and raising yes. your brows. Okay. Yes. Um, and with your eyelids or your eyelids themselves, you're able to open them wide enough to see. So yes. it's not the eyelid muscles. Okay. Um, well, again, you know, this is over the radio. I'm not seeing you in person, but what, you're, what it sounds like is almost as if you need what's called a brow lift. Because what you're doing in order to see is you're raising your brows and then you're able to see. It sounds as if what you need to do is somehow lift those brows in another way besides using your muscles in order Mm -hmm. to achieve the same effect. Um, Does that sound reasonable to you? Is Is that something that is done surgically? It can be done surgically. As we mentioned earlier in the show, uh, you can get a small amount or to moderate and small amount of brow lift done with Botox or one of the other muscle relaxants. Uh, And sometimes you can try it and see whether it would be enough for you. But it sounds to me like you're you're needing to raise your brows a lot. And so perhaps we're talking about a surgical brow lift. The other thing that can sometimes raise the brow is uh, if you have... A lot of tissue loss in your forehead, and sometimes putting some kind of filler in the forehead actually creates some volume that lifts your forehead skin up, and that actually lifts your brow as well. And so that's Mm -hmm. kind of what we call a liquid facelift or a liquid brow lift. So that's another, perhaps, option for going without surgery and getting the same sort of effect. It really depends on you. These are both
4: pretty much cosmetic
2: procedures
4: and would not be covered under my health plan, right?
2: Those two are. If you needed a brow lift, you may be able to get it covered under insurance. Um, it It would depend on what your testing would show. You'd have to be able to prove it to an insurance company. Thank you very much. You're welcome.
0: All right, Carol from Maui. Thanks for calling and certainly some good questions. You know, the poor... Poor Carol has to use her muscles to keep her eyes open and that sounds like boy that's got to be a difficult task to do all day. Right. So might be some ways that this <clears throat> could be a little more than cosmetic but yes. kind of one of those yes. things. You know, I think Dr. Maloney your difficult task here today is really talking to people over the phone and trying yeah. to guess what their exam is like. So right. I give you a lot of credit for really uh, for really trying to help them out in some way. We've got another caller. We've got Tom from Lapa Hoy, Hoy. Tom, welcome to the Body Show. Up, oh, we lost Tom. Okay, we've got another caller. We're still popular. I mean, we've still got plenty of folks who want to talk to you, Doctor Melanie Eileen from Pearl City. Eileen, welcome yes. to the Body Show. Hello, Aloha, hello everybody. Aloha. What can we do to make you look younger? What can we do to help you?
4: Um, I went to three doctors already, and they said my eye got be my eyelid got be double, so um, my lashes don't turn in. Because it will scratch the lens, and I can go blind. Is that true or false?
0: Oh, that sounds unfortunate. Okay, so describe for me again, what's wrong with
4: your eyelid? My eyelash turns in all the time. It irritates me, and it scratches my lens. And then when I pull my lens up, um, I see, like, bumps underneath the eyelid, and that irritates me, too.
2: Uh Uh-oh, Dr. Maloney. Eileen's got some troubles. <laughs> yes, Eileen, that does sound like a problem. Well, yes, if your eyelid is rolling inwards so that the lashes are rubbing your eye all the time, yes, that is something that you need to take care of. Uh, it isn't a good situation to have something scratching your eye chronically because that will cause scarring with time. And yeah,
4: that's what I don't want. And three doctors cannot do nothing.
2: <laughs> Help. <laughs> What do you mean they cannot do nothing?
4: They won't do nothing. And I'm crying for help badly. We can
0: hear you, Eileen. We can hear you saying help you because you're worried. you got these lashes. They're turning in. They're irritating your eye. And then they're causing these other problems that are irritating your eye. Boy, this is one of those things, Dr. Melanie, that I bet, you know, you got to sort of see somebody, evaluate them, see if there is a procedure that could help them. Because really, yes. their vision is at stake here. I mean, mm-hmm. if you right. irritate that part of your eye so yes. much, you know, you're going to have troubles with the actual acuity of your vision. So right. Eileen, here's what we would suggest that you do. We're thinking it's time for you to make sure that A, your eyes are healthy. We talked to somebody earlier, and we were making wanting them to make sure that the eye itself is healthy, and B, right. that you get this checked out by a professional. Dr. Melanie is available. Some other docs are available. And that way you can get an opinion from, you know, unfortunately, maybe your fourth doctor, but someone who might be able to look at it and explain to you why they can or even why they can't help and what you can do to help so you can make sure that this doesn't doesn't affect your vision and cause permanent troubles. Dr. Melanie, sound pretty much like Sounds her perfect. next task? Okay. Yes, she needs to do it. I
2: agree. Now, so when too- you
0: when you have people who come in for cosmetic procedures, how important is it that, I mean, how do they know if they're doing this procedure, they want to make sure that their eyelids are okay? What about just making sure their eyes are okay? Should they always do that first? Make sure their vision is correct. Make sure they're wearing the correct kind of glasses, whether they have cataracts or not. Make sure these things are taken care of before they start doing cosmetic procedures, or could they do it independently? It doesn't really affect one or the other.
2: Well, I think definitely having the eyes in great health is a, is the first priority. Um, cosmetic procedures are elective, and, of course, most people or many people want them, but I think that eye health is more of a need. So, yes, of course, Go with we the eye health and yes. then go with the cosmetic procedures. yes.
0: Now, we've talked about a couple here. We've talked about some surgical and non-surgical procedures. What are some of the, I mean, surgical ones people might have heard about, brow lift, eye lift, face lift. Let's just review some of the non-surgical ones. So we talked a little bit about the Madonna lift. That would help for the eyelid, and you would see some improvement in
2: what particular area again? Well, the Madonna lift will tighten the skin and reduce fine lo- fine to medium lines, so what we get is an improvement in the upper and the lower eyelid and the texture, and as well as the crow's feet. And We also can do a Botox or its competing products, Dysport and Xeomin brow lift, and by injecting it in the right spots, we can get the brows to go upwards and make the eyes look more wide open, besides, of course, what they were intended for, which is to get rid of the the lines between the Brows and the crow's feet. Um, we can do filler into the hollows or underneath the bags of the lower eyelids, and get rid of the tired appearance of the lower eyelids. And we can also do filler of the ent- on the entire face and do what I call liquid facelift, which is restoring volume. And the forehead, the cheeks, and just basically lifting the entire face and making it look very naturally rejuvenated and f- filling it all up so that we look more like the way we did when we were younger.
0: That always sounds good. So these are non-surgical procedures right. that can help somebody. They don't have to, quote, go under the knife, right. and they still may see some beneficial effects, maybe subtle but helpful. And then, you know, if you feel better that's great, because, you know, if you look better, feel better, that sounds good to me. Definitely. Hey, we've got Tom back on the line from La Tom, thanks for calling us back. I heard we lost you in traffic a little bit. Welcome to The Body Show. What can we do for you?
3: Yes, thank you. Um, right between my eyes, I have these deep 11s. And uh, if I'm not wearing sunglasses or smiling, people think, hey, this guy's giving me stink eye. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> so I was just wondering how I address that. And I heard it possibly with... um. Uh, Botox injections, but mine are really deep, so I'm thinking it might be beyond Botox injections where I might have something surgically done. Is it possible? or
0: It's kind of interesting, you know, I'm wondering, Dr. Melanie, what if you have these deep furrows? Could you do a little
2: Botox and a filler? Do those two things work together? Yes, precisely. What we usually do, if you have the 11s, even when you're not frowning, so you just have them chronically because they've been there for so long, what we usually do is we'll do one of the muscle relaxants and get the muscles so that they're no longer creating a new problem. And if you still have the 11s, because they've been there so long and they've just kind of creased their way into your skin. They're just there. Then once the muscles have been relaxed, then we can go ahead and take a filler and fill it in. We can't do the filler alone, because if you're still allowing those muscles to contract and create 11s, all it's going to do is take the filler and make deeper 11s, because now it's got more tissue and it uses the filler as tissue to create a deeper 11. So you've got to relax the muscle first, then go ahead secondarily and fill in those deep crevices. And it works great. People are amazed at how much younger they look right like that. And they don't look angry anymore. And there's just no
0: delighted. stink eye. All right. right. <laughs> All right, Tom, there's your answer. It's a little combo, Botox and filler. All right, Tom's off the line. Hopefully he'll he'll be able to find somebody who can do that where he's at and, you know, hopefully look his best. It certainly sounds like a good plan. So... Are there any people out there, if they wanted to, who could not do these types of non-surgical procedures? Any medical conditions that would make somebody just not able to do it?
2: Yeah, well, there are people who may be allergic to any of these medications. Um, with Botox, we say that people who have myasthenia gravis shouldn't have it. People, w- Women who are pregnant or nursing should not, not have it done. What about with some of the
0: lasers? Not necessarily, you can't really be allergic to a laser, can you?
2: No, you can't be allergic to it. Um, If you form keloids, then there is certainly a higher risk of not healing well um, because of the higher risk of scarring. Um, We have to be very careful in people who have very dark skin. And there's a risk of hyperpigmenting with a laser, with very careful pre-treatment and very careful sunscreen use afterwards, we're usually able to avoid that, but that does take a lot of cooperation with the patient, and there's still a risk that it will happen. Hyperpigmentation does always go away, but sometimes it takes time, and so that's something that we have to be very careful of. Um, so there are, it's very individual. There are certain things that would be contraindications to each of these procedures.
0: So you just have to make sure that you talk with somebody who can give you those plus or minus right. uh, side effects, benefits, risks, and talk through that scenario. Now, in this in this particular scenario, you mentioned hyperpigmentation. So if the skin goes too dark, you right. could actually have darkening. If you yes. have fairer skin, could you ever have it
2: turn even lighter? Does that ever happen? It's possible. It's not nearly not as, as common. likely, right?
0: And if you keloid, be very careful with any type of procedure. Yes. Keloid is that hyper response to any kind of a cut that causes actually extra scar tissue, more than you had there before. So you'd want to be careful with that, too.
2: Yes. Not so much of a problem, usually, with one of the injections, because most people don't keloid with a tiny needle. But when we're doing a laser and we're stimulating a lot of collagen growth anyway, then... That could be a problem. Yeah, that could be a problem.
0: And if people were interested in, in hearing more or seeing more about these procedures... Where can they go? I mean, do you have a website that kind of shows people the before and after and maybe some testimonials?
2: Is that available? I do. I have a website. It's um, md.com. And my name is a, n- a tough spell. <laughs> so- it is, but I'm going to let you cover it this time. <laughs> okay. So Melanie is M-E-L-A-N-I-E. And the last name is T A N T I S I R A. And M D dot com. So there D. you com. go. That's right. And then what
0: can they see on there? Can they see descriptions of the procedures? A little bit about uh people who have done it?
2: Yes, they can. It's kind of the website's always a work in progress, so we're we change it up fairly often. But, um, yes, testimonials and descriptions of the procedures, definitely. And um, we're trying to get more before and afters for everybody to see all the time.
0: Well, and it sounds like, you know, you're the only one in the islands doing the Madonna lift. And there's a lot of other possible procedures that people were interested. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of information out there. Dr. Melanie, thanks for sharing your expertise for us today on The Body Show. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. This was your uh, encore performance we've had you on before. So <laughs> thanks for coming back. Dr. Melanie Tantasira is an ophthalmologist practicing here in Oahu. She can be reached at 591-9111 or online. You can take a look, drmelanietantasiramd.com. If you'd like to hear this show again, you can click on our podcast, www.hawaiipublicradio.org. Our engineer is David Chang, our executive producer, Beth Ann Kozlovich. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll see you next week when we talk about asthma. May is Asthma Awareness Month, and what can you do to make sure you breathe with ease? That's going to be Monday at 5 on The Body Show. We'll see you then.